I always find it exciting to know that we're not the only ones doing ministry here and that God has given us a great call, hasn't he? To go and to make disciples that make disciples and, and to love for our community. And so it's just an awesome thing to see that uh, God's doing good things. And so uh, today as we uh, bring this uh, this. Uh, series, I guess, to a close. It's always a little bittersweet for me, like bringing a series to a close because I get to spend so much time with it and the Word and all those kind of things. It's, uh, uh, it's always a little bit sad, but at the same time, it's exciting because um, God has got great things as we move ahead. But as we bring this series to a close, I hope for you that it wasn't just an academic exercise, right? That you didn't just go through these names of God and that you come through it and then you have under better understanding of some fun Hebrew names or things like this. Uh, I hope, and our prayer has been, as we put this together, that by going through how God has revealed himself, the different names that, that have been applied to God through Scripture, this is revealing different aspects of his character, that in doing that and knowing who God is in truth, who he truly is, it's been an, a doorway for you to be able to, to meet and to greet God in a newer and a more profound way in your own life, to experience him the way that he's revealed himself to us. And so because we've, we've gone through 13, it's hard to remember all of those, and you might have missed one or two, just, just a recap real brief. We began with Elohim. In the Old Testament, that is the name of God that is translated as God. Discovering that name talks about how God has revealed himself as the creator, that he is the one that is the preserver. He is the keeper of his covenant. That's part of, of just his very core nature. And then after that, we talked about Yahweh. And which in the Bible, is, uh, we see as is, is a big L, capital L, capital O-R-D. The Yahweh, the, the self-existent God, the, the reality behind reality. <laughs> the, the amazing God who's, who is holy and he's the truth revealer. And he's a God of righteousness because he's the one who made ethics to begin with. That's where they come from. He's a God of redemption and the one that is, is dedicated to redemption. And, and how Yahweh teaches us and reveals so much about God in that way things, but that he's the God who's not just powerful in himself, but he also empowers us to do great works. He's the one who supplies us and has the, 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 that he's bigger than this world, yes, but he's also giving us exactly what we need to face this world and to overcome it with good. Then we talked about Adonai, how God's revealed himself at Adonai. That's the capital L, small O-R-D that we find in scripture, that God is boss. He has, a, he has the authority, he has the right to be in charge. And how good that is, because he's righteous and good. He's a great leader. And then the week after that, on Father's Day, we have my son, I think, do one of the most amazing jobs, the first sermon preaching about God is being Abba Father, that perfect dad. And then we came back to, to those compound names of God, Yahweh Rofi. About God, how he is, he is the God who heals. In fact, we had Warren Wilkowitz gave an incredible message on that. Not just that God is our healer, but, but healing is who I am is another way that he said that we saw that that could be translated. It's part of God that there is no brokenness in this world that is beyond his ability to repair. And then after that, we were introduced to Yahweh Nisi. That Yahweh is our banner. And we saw that mountain that, that, uh, that we had uh, Moses stand on top of and raise that staff of God, that, the banner, and brought the victory. And how God is, is the one who rally, we rally under. He brings us unity, and he also brings us victory. And after that, we, we read and learned about Yahweh M. Kaddish, the one, the God who sanctifies, the God who makes us holy. He sets us apart into himself to do great things, makes us different for good work. And then we, we looked at Yahweh Shalom, that God is our peace, 
and in a world so desperately in need of peace, that, part of, that peace is actually part of God's very character and nature. He's not a God of war, and he's not a God of destruction. But a very core and a part of who he is, he is a God of peace, and he brings peace. And we recognize that ultimate true peace, that to know peace, we must know God. Not just in, in, in the eternal, but also in our life here, that God brings peace because of his grace that we've experienced from him. And the way that he transforms us from the inside out, he enables us and empowers us to do crazy things like forgive people and love our enemy and serve people who are never going to be able to pay us back. He brings peace when others declare war. And then I got to go on that wonderful uh, opportunity to learn more about how to raise up leaders. And, and uh, in doing so, God uh, brought some leaders that got to step. Mark Stelter did an amazing message on Yahweh Titsuniku, that Yahweh is our righteousness. That, that it's not your righteousness, our righteousness, how enduring and what a peaceful thing that is, what an amazing truth that is. And then last week, as we saw Andrew, and we've watched Andrew grow up in faith. Wasn't it awesome to have Andrew here last week? It, it, it gave a message, yes, Yahweh Rohi, the, the Lord is our shepherd. And he goes through the 23rd Psalm and how much God loves us, how gentle and kind and good he is to us. I hope in this series that you've experienced God. What a waste it would be to know the names of God, but then to miss knowing him. And so as we continue on, as we bring this, this, this series to an end, I, my passion, my hope, my prayer for you is that you grow closer to him. Know who God is and invite him into your life as he's revealed himself. Not tonight or today. This would be a long message if it was tonight. It won't be, I promise. Today, our last one is my favorite name. And that's this, Yahweh Shema. And it's simply translated as the Lord is there. And it comes to us from a, a story in scripture we're gonna go to, but it actually comes from this verse, which will be our memory verse today. And of course, if you're new with us, this is what we do. Every week we have a little memory verse because disciples of Jesus know God's word, right? And we take that verse and throughout the week we memorize it and meditate on it. And we think about how it applies to our life. And so begin to, to have that internal transformation, deposit. So in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to say this, and I know that this means nothing to you yet, but by the end of the message, I hope that this message, that this verse will, and I'm pretty confident will be, will be transforming and powerful for you. So just trust me on that. So at first, this is how we're going to do it. Just say it along with me, and then pretty soon you're going to have a good head start on having that memorized. So here we go. Say it with me. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. That is Ezekiel 48, 35. All right, again. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there, Ezekiel 48, 35. All right, let's test ourselves because it's super easy. And the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there, Ezekiel 48, 35. Now I know what you're thinking. What city? And why should I care? Right? Why is the name of the city from that time on will be Yahweh Shema. Well, we're going to introduce you to why that's so important. In fact, in order to understand this and why this name is so powerful, we're going to have to look at the context and then the importance of that name and then finally the fulfillment. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So first, let's talk about context. In order to do that, you actually have to get into God's Word. And so if you have your Bible, please turn to Ezekiel 40 and say, Aaron, wait a second. Uh, 48 is what we just memorized. I know. Trust me. Just go to turn 40 and we'll, we'll, we'll help you out. If you have one of our Bibles or you forgot your Bible, we've got plenty of them in the back. And we're going to be on page 604. Um, and uh, 
So we turn there. Now, why on verse 40? Well, Ezekiel 40 is the beginning of a prophecy that goes all the way through to Ezekiel 48. This is the beginning of the prophecy, right? 48 is that we just memorized was part of this. So to understand, to get the context, let's go to the beginning of the prophecy. And so the prophecy begins, chapter 40, verse 1. It says, in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th month, in the 14th year after the fall of the city, that's after the fall of Jerusalem, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he took me there. He took him to the city, to Jerusalem. Now, to understand why was that such a big deal, we have to realize this was not just anybody who wrote this. This is in the book of the prophet Ezekiel, which means Ezekiel wrote this. Ezekiel did not have an easy life. Ezekiel is known as the prophet of the captivity, right? That's not a job title that most people want to have. You know, like, you know, I'm the, it's just a hard job. Right? He's the prophet of the captivity. He's the only prophet in the Old Testament that is, his entire ministry was focused to those who were in captivity, who were apart from the blessings of God. Think how hard that would be to be a prophet. In fact, he got his call in Ezekiel 2, where God says, I'm going to raise you up for this ministry. And you should read about it because it's a little bit funny and a little discouraging. Right? This is his call. Ezekiel, God says, I'm sending you, Ezekiel, to a hard-headed people. It's like their heads are filled with rocks. And they're not going to listen to you, right? You're going to preach to them, and you're going to teach them, and you're going to tell them truth, and they're not going to listen, and they're not going to turn, and it's, right? And so I'm going to make you more hard-headed than them. I'm going to make your forehead like flint, which is a much harder rock. That's what God said. You're going to be more stubborn than them. And it doesn't matter. How, you're going to do the right things, and you're not going to get the right results. I'm just warning you at first. Think about the kind of guy you'd have to be for God to call you to do that. This was a, a man that was sent in a very hard ministry to people that he knew it wasn't even work. Can you imagine going to work someday and you know, like your boss is like, you're going to do this job, but even if you do it perfectly, you're still going to fail. Good luck. This is how it begins. And so Ezekiel begins his life. This is a, a prophet that was sent to rebellious people with a very hard message. And God said he was going to, he was going to discipline his people. And God made good on that promise. And so Ezekiel, he gets capturing Israel. And that was part of God's judgment. And before that, a couple hundred years before that, the Assyrians came down and took the, the northern ten tribes, which we called Israel, and basically destroyed them. They've disappeared. And now it was Judah's turn, the last two tribes that are there. And Babylon is now coming down and is, and is, is taking them captive. And, and it didn't just happen all at once. It was a, a long, slow, painful process. And Ezekiel was taken into captivity in the second deportation of the Jews. So is, uh, Jerusalem was still there. The temple was still there when, when uh, Ezekiel was taken out of it. So he was taken early. And 11 years later, after that, the Babylonians finally destroy Jerusalem, level it, burn it, take the temple, and they take it apart, take all the implements out, 11 years afterwards. This is the prophet that his ministry, God said, I'm going to send you to a hard place, and then God sent him to a foreign place. And he lived amongst people for 11 years who were attacking the holy temple of God. And then he saw them destroy it. But you know what? Before Ezekiel was taken into captivity, God gave him a vision of, of something terrifying. And he writes about it in Ezekiel 10, and this is what it says. It says, Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. What does this mean? God gave Ezekiel and he showed him that God was leaving the temple. 
that he would no longer be. God was always, there was, he made his presence in the Holy of Holies. That's what made it Holy of Holies. And God was now leaving the temple. And he showed Ezekiel that God is not going to be there. Then when they would look at the temple, God is not there. He'd be absent. And if that wasn't bad enough, God also shows Ezekiel a little bit later in verse 11 or chapter 11. He says, And the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountains east of it. He saw God leave Jerusalem. Just get up and leave. Right? So this was his guy's ministry. He saw God leave and he said, he was a warning to the people, God is not here. God is not here. And the people of Israel, they, they felt so comfortable. They said, we live in a nation. We can see where God is at. This is why we're safe. And they use God as a crutch and an excuse to, to justify their horrible living. They say, because God's going to defend himself, so we don't have to worry about it. God is here. And so we can live however we want because we're secure. And so God left. And Ezekiel warned them, and no one listened, and so he was taken to captivity. And in 586, the Babylonians come and finally destroy the city and destroy the temple. And now it all lays in ruins. Without a temple, there is no sacrifice. And without a sacrifice, there is no redemption. And without redemption, and God was not there. God was not in the city. He was not in the temple. God was gone. And after 25 years, it says, that's what it says, in the 25th year of our exile, 25 years passed. I want you to think about this. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we mistakenly think that it was just written by one guy. You know, he just kind of sat down and just wrote it all at once. No, these were real people. They were real life. And, and this is a prophecy. It wasn't just written all at once. God starts Ezekiel's ministry, right? And he starts his ministry by showing that God leaves. God's gone. Can you imagine how hard to be a prophet of God who's sent to a people who aren't going to listen to anything and then you recognize that God is now also gone? And you are sent to a place where God is not? How terrifying. And for 25 years, this wasn't a weekend. This wasn't a, you know, a, a hard little stretch. It wasn't even a month or two. 25 years the prophet lived in the absence of God. Can you imagine? I think it's part of it for all of us as, as we walk in faith. If they have... We go through times, which sometimes people call it the desert, the wilderness as, as believers, where you, you feel like you're crying out to God and it just doesn't seem like he's there. And how hard that is. Well, here was a prophet for 25 years living in a very difficult place, feeling the very profound absence of God. God was not there. But 25 years later, beginning of that year, on the 10th of the month, he can tell you exactly the day God was there. That very day. You ever seen the ground when it fails to rain for a while and it starts to get cracked and it's awful and it's ugly? And I feel like that. And then the rain comes and it heals the ground and it gets all. And as it comes and the spring is there and it, it just makes it beautiful again. That's the kind of rain to the spirit that I think that that Ezekiel felt when God showed up, put His hand on His shoulder. I'm here. And God doesn't just show up, he takes him somewhere. Where does he take him? To the temple. To a temple, by the way, at that point had been destroyed. He takes him to a gate that didn't exist anymore. And God begins to give the prophet in this, in this chapter 40 to 48, he begins to give him a prophecy, a promise that revolutionized faith. as a message that was important not just for Ezekiel, but for all of us today. It's a prophecy of hope. 
right? It's a prophecy of hope. I want you to read this in, in verse 44, if you wouldn't mind. Turn to city from that time on will be. God starts with priming. Remember, first God left the temple, and then he left the city? Well, in chapter 44, verse 4, it's going to be on page 608, it says, uh, Then the man brought me by the way of the north gate. The man is the, is the messenger of God that, uh, that was showing Ezekiel this vision. The man brought me by the north gate, that's in the temple, to the front of the temple. And when he brings him to the temple, a temple that was obviously a promise that obviously now exists, so it would be brought back, what does he see when he looks into the temple? It says, I looked and I saw the glory of the Lord filling the temple of the Lord, and I fell face down. What a promise. It's not just that the temple would come back, but God would come back. When he looked in the temple, the Lord is there. Yahweh Shema, God is back. What a promise. And then, if you read through this, it's a great, uh, somebody told me, it would, and I agree, this would be like a carpenter would love this prophecy because it's got a lot of details. Because God was very specific. Think about when you make a plan to do something. You meet somebody and they're like, oh, I'd like to build a house over there. That's not a plan. When they have details to say, I'm going to do this and this wall is going to be made of this thing and it's going to be this big, that's a person that's committed. And God gives a prophecy of how he's going to restore his people, how he's going to restore the nation, and better yet, how he's going to restore his presence. And we get all the way to the end of this prophecy. And I want you to look at, at verse, or chapter 48, okay? 48, and I want you to find the verse uh, 35, our memory verse. Where is it? It is the last word of the prophet, isn't it? The prophet of, of, the, of being in captivity. The, the last word of the prophet of captivity is what? The Lord is there. This is the last word. This is the end of his ministry, the end of the chapter. You know what? Ezekiel lived and also died in captivity. But he didn't die without hope, and he certainly didn't die without God. The last word, even to those who are in captivity, is this. And the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. Yahweh Shema. God's presence matters. So what's the importance of this when we read it? Well, I understand that, that this passage of Yahweh Shema was not just, you know, it, was a, it wasn't just, you know, that God's going to be there. To understand that God was, was saying, I'm going to be back. You will be back. To understand how important it is that you be back, think about what it meant for the people of Israel for God to be gone. The people of Israel were God's people. That's what they were known by. That was their whole identity, right? They were called, from the very beginning, they were God's people. When Abraham got the promise, that's when Israel began, right? There was never a time in the history of that people that God wasn't a direct part of it. The, uh, I mean, I got Irish heritage, right? And so, like, my ancestors, they were, like, naked dancing around trees and stuff, right? Just worshiping sticks, like, there was a large part of my heritage and lineage that God was not there. It wasn't, that he wasn't part of their, of their identity until God sent an amazing man to, to go and to share the gospel and change that. But for a long portion, it wasn't part of who we were. But for Israel, it was 100%. Their entire heritage was, was being with God. To lose God was to lose your identity. Who are you? If you're God's people and God leaves, who are you? And the thing is, is that God was, had revealed himself to the people of Israel all the way. He was with them even when they weren't faithful, right? The people of Israel for hundreds and thousands of years had, had done things that were naughty and bad, and they, they turned away from God, and he was always there over and over again. Even when they walked away, God didn't. And he sent them judges, and he, then he sent them prophets, and he gave them scripture and all these things, God bringing the people back to him. 
And he revealed himself to them as a loving father who wants to care for his children and to see their best, who is forgiving them and their faults and watching them grow. He revealed himself to them as a loving husband who who has a, a difficult wife but loves her anyway and lays himself down for her and wants to see her uh, cared for and protected. To see God leave the temple, to see God leave the city, to see God not be there would be like, would be like a unfaithful wife who's had this amazing husband who's been forgiving over and over and over again and loved her in spite of all of her faults and, and all the times and him finally getting fed up and then leaving and watching watching him walk out and having the door slam. That's the impact. Not know, knowing you deserve it, but not knowing if you can ever expect him to come back. Was it abandonment? Have we messed up so badly that God is now gone? And for God then to say, no, it was an abandonment. You see, the people, they ignored God. He sent them prophets, and they ignored the prophets. He sent them his word, scripture. They ignored scripture. So he sent them something that they couldn't ignore, and that was discipline. And with that, they couldn't ignore it. They were sent away. And that absence, I think, does make the heart grow a little fonder. And so when God then says he is there, I think for Ezekiel, after 25 years of living in the wilderness, wondering, is it? Have we messed up so bad on him? And bring him to the city and show him the city will be rebuilt. And bringing him to the temple and say, faith will be rebuilt. God is there. What an amazing gift. You see, for the people of Israel without God, they didn't have an identity. And not only did they not have an identity, they didn't have a home. God gave them the promised land. And if your home is a promised land, and then where did the promise come from? If God is gone, there's no more promise. And all of that, you don't have a hope. They were a people that were conquered by a very powerful world. What hope did they have? Powerless, refugees, slaves. Without God, no identity, no home, no hope. But God gives Ezekiel a prophecy that shows them that his absence was not abandonment. And I was absent, but I am not gone. And there's something bigger for you, that you still have identity. You are still God's people. You are still mine. That you have a home. And it's going to be rebuilt, and you have a hope. I think for us, it's one of the reasons why this prophecy continues to speak to us today. When we go through those valleys, those wildernesses, those times that always last way longer than we ever know that we could endure, that God has not abandoned us, that there is a hope that we have, that God is still present in us. But I can say that not just because this was a a nice, interesting thing, but there's a fulfillment to these prophecies that God kept his word in this so we can trust it. In fact, there are three fulfillments in this. There is the primary fulfillment, the original one that God brought about. Then there's the secondary, which is the present fulfillment. And then finally, there is a ultimate fulfillment, eternal fulfillment of this prophecy. So we'll talk about those briefly. The first is the primary fulfillment that happened. This prophecy was fulfilled when the people returned from captivity. And this is how it happened, and it was the most remarkable way, because when, when Ezekiel prophesied this, Babylon was in power, and Babylon was at the height of their power. There was no nation around that had anywhere near the wealth or the military might that Babylon had. No one would challenge them. When this prophecy was uttered, Babylon was the one that destroyed Jerusalem. The thought that God would rebuild Jerusalem would be 
silly, impossible. It would just be ridiculous, laughed off. And then in 70 short years, 45 years after this was, was prophesied, God rebuilds the city. And how did he do it? Well, God brought the Persians up. And you can read about the end of Daniel. It's pretty amazing. And God brings the Persians and they conquer the Babylonians. And the Persians do things just a little different. And they say, you know what? We want you, Jews, to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem with our blessing, and we're going to pay for it. And all. That itself would have been unfathomable of a blessing, and yet in only 45 years after this was written, it happened. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. The first fulfillment of this was a very literal fulfillment, and the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt again, and the worship of God was reinstated and reinstated in the temple. It was there again. There was now sacrifice again. There was the priesthood again. The people could come back to God again. It was amazing. And that fulfillment lasted all the way up till God kept his word about bringing a Messiah. Because he promised, God promised to bring a Messiah, a one who would bring a final sacrifice, one who would finally reconcile the world to himself. And he kept that promise in Jesus. And when Jesus came to this earth, he started then the present fulfillment of this prophecy. He expanded it in ways that this prophet never could have even dreamed. You see, when Jesus walked in Jerusalem, it was very, very literal. You could look and say, Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Yahweh is actually walking on this dirt, living in this city. In fact, for those of us that get to go to Israel here in, what, nine months, we're going to walk in those same footsteps that God himself walked in. That is amazing. It gives me shivers to think of. But you know, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he wasn't going there as a part of a tour. He was doing something, wasn't he? The work of the Messiah wasn't just to show up into Jerusalem. It was to make a way for us to be made right with God. And so his sacrifice when he died on the cross and paid for the sins of all people, that was was a work that he was doing to then continue this this prophecy in an amazing way. Because when Jesus died, he made a way for not just the Jews to be present with God, but for all of those that from all places of the world to be grafted into that wonderful faith and salvation. How amazing is that? see, so that would be said that not just that the Lord is in Jerusalem, but when he looks at the church and when people look at us, the Lord is there. Yahweh Shema. You see, it expands that in an amazing way. And then, to make this a literally true thing, God sends us the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascends, he, he raises. He's amongst the people for 40 days. gives great proof that he actually was raised. And then, when he ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does something unexpected, is God himself now indwells his own people. No longer just in a temple. In fact, we read about this um, in, in 1 Corinthians 3. It says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? This is mind-blowing to the temple and say the Lord is there. Right? What a gift. What an amazing thing. God is there. He could even look into a city and say, God is there, somewhere geographical. But then God did one better, and he said, I'm going to make my people, and wherever my people are, I am there. This is what it means for you and me in our present state. This is what this promise means for us. I may go through a desert in my life. There are times where I feel maybe separated from God when I'm crying out, and he's not answering me the way that I think I can hear, right? But here's the truth. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. In my life and in your life, when I look at you and I see you as a church and you are struggling and, and, and working through, diff- you're not doing it alone. 
in your life, Yahweh Shema, in you. In our town, it is a real reality, Yahweh Shema, because God has brought the church here. In every place that you go, wherever you stand, there is not a place that God is absent. Yahweh Shema, wherever you stand, because you are his follower. And God's spirit dwells within you. And you say, how long will he dwell within me? Is he there when I don't feel him? Well, look at this promise from Hebrews. It says, you know what? You can keep your lives free from money and, and uh, be content with what you have. Why? Because God said, I, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Think about that. It's not about feeling. It's about the fact that we've gone through this whole series. And one of the things that God is, he tells the truth. And when he says it, that's the way it is. And God is in you. And he's not going to abandon you. You might be going through hard times. And you might even sometimes fall away into all kinds of temptation and be very weak. But God is in you. There is not a time or a place that you don't have the almighty God of the universe here. What a gift. And how far does that extend? Because I remember as a church, right, we called to be disciples of Jesus, to build disciples of Jesus. And that comes to us from the great commission that Jesus himself gave to us. He said, this is what I want you to do. He says, go to all nations, right? And then what do you do? Make disciples. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. You know all nations, how far away that is? That's as far away from Jerusalem as you can get. We can go anywhere, anywhere. And guess what? There's a promise that he gives us in that. He says, surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. God is not stuck in some temple of stone. He is here in a temple of flesh. And he is building his kingdom wherever the believers are. God's spirit is there in power and in truth. What this means is I'm to the, to the end of the age. When he says go to all nations, it means that you can travel anywhere and God is there. You cannot outrun his presence. And what this means too to the very end of the age means you can be just as true in you as well. When you're old and you're looking back on your life, God is still there. Yahweh Shema. That is the present power of this fulfillment. What a gift. What a gift. But you know what? This prophecy that we read... There's also an ultimate fulfillment because the prophecy was this, and you memorized it. It says the name of the city from that time on will be. Well, you know what? This world's not forever. It's wearing out. I think you can just look at it. It's just kind of falling apart a little bit. But God is bringing a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And when he comes back, he brings a new heaven and a new earth with him, but he's also bringing a new Jerusalem. And we read about this new Jerusalem that Jesus brings back in the book of Revelation. And this is what it says. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them, and they will be their, and he will be their God. Think about that. Yahweh Shema, forever. The name of the city from that time on shall be. Now, here's the amazing thing. God is with us, and his power is with us, and his love is with us, and his presence is with us, anytime, place." but I still don't have the joy of seeing God face to face. Do you know how cool it's going to be when we can actually talk to God and audibly just hear his voice, to go and to touch his hand? It's amazing. To be able to say, where is God? The name of the city, God is there. That's the most amazing thing about that city. Right? When people say, what about Washington, D.C.? It's a great city. What's, what's the biggest thing about there? Well, the, the government is there. But in the new heaven, God is there. That's what's going to be the identifying thing. That's what it's going to be known for, God himself there. We shall see him face to face. I, I, just think about that. And it's coming. 
And how do we know that it's coming? How do we know this is not some thing that Jesus just made up to kind of encourage us? Look what Jesus said in chapter four, 14 of the Gospel of John. He says this, My Father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That makes perfect sense. He's like, my wife and family, we went on a little vacation, right? We went in Florida, and we went to a lot of different cities in Florida. And they were beautiful, and they were very big, and there were awesome things that were there. But you know what wasn't in any of those cities? There wasn't a house for me. I didn't own any property in any of those places. I was a visitor, all those places, a guest to those cities. What an amazing thing that Jesus is coming back. He's bringing a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city. How much better to know that you have a place there and that God himself is the one who's making you out in the countryside somewhere. No, he's making a place for you. Yahweh Shema. That is the reality of our eternity. And that is where we find our identity. That is where we find our home. And that is where we find our hope. So today, we bring about this, this, this series, and we bring it to a close, and I want you to understand, so important, Yahweh Shema, he's real. He is there. He hasn't abandoned us. I know there are times in life when things are hard. Remember this, Yahweh Shema is that promise. It is the truth that God has never abandoned me. He is with me. And he's making a place and has made a place for us to be with him, first now through grace in Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also ultimately, in the hereafter, forever, to be with him. Why did I put this last? Because every single promise that God is and who he is really makes no real big difference and no real hope for us that there wasn't also this. God may be righteous and may be the healer and he might be the one who's, who's you know, all powerful and all those things, but what good does it do us if he's not with us? But I want you to see every one of those characteristics that we talked about, that we see in God's word has revealed himself is not a distant reality, it's a present reality and it is available for us now. And this is the truth that we have which is why that memory verse is such a powerful thing. Because every believer at a time will walk through a desert. We do. And every believer will face giants that are far bigger than we are. We're called to it. It is what's going to happen. And we face a determined enemy that sometimes makes us scared. And I want you to know that there is a truth that's bigger than any lie that you might begin to believe that God has somehow abandoned you or he's not with you or you don't have the power to handle it or you don't have the grace to handle it or whatever the lie is. I want you to remember this, Yahweh Shema. And so take time this week. Memorize that passage. In fact, if you want to take your, your connection cards out, there's some other things that I want to challenge you to do. Next steps. Why? Because disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus. We're constantly moving, taking next steps because Jesus, he didn't build a rabbinical school and say, hey, come to me. He said, follow me. He's an active God. He's doing something, which means that we need to be taking steps of faithfulness to follow him. And what are these next steps that you can take this week? Just one step at a time. And maybe it is that you memorize this week. If you look on the backside of your connection card, there's some next steps for you. Maybe it is memorizing this. Taking time. You know the hardest part of memorizing Ezekiel 48:35? Memorizing Ezekiel 38:45, the name. The, the, it, that's the hardest part. The verse itself is easy. But the name of the city from that time on shall will be. The Lord is there. Think about what that means in your life, in your heart. Or maybe what you want to do is you actually want to read the prophecy. This is an amazing prophecy. It was an absolute impossibility what was given. And God may tell that God is not just haphazardly saying, I'm going to bring you together. Look at the detail when you read this prophecy. I know it can be a little bit boring, but it's like he's picked out the color of the curtains, right? He is certain that the city will be rebuilt. This is what it's going to be like. 
Read the prophecy and recognize the, the commitment that our God has. He is there. Well, how about this? Maybe what you need to do is you need to ask God for help. You might be at a place that you feel separated from God. You might be overwhelmed. There are things that are scaring you. And I'll tell you this, maybe it's an invitation to stop living just by feelings and start living by faith and trusting that God is good to his word. There are times in Scripture that says we suffer things that we don't have to because we didn't ask God. I'll tell you this, regardless of how you feel, if you are in Christ, God is there in you and in your life. Talk to him. Maybe it's the biggest, most scary step of faith that you're going to have is just start saying, God, I'm going to ask for your help. But I'll tell you this, the more specific and the more you go to God, he hears you, and you are inviting his power into your life. And maybe you go with him this week, and that's your next step. Trust him enough. Live by faith. How about this? Maybe you're called to do this is to share the good news. The promise that God is there that he gave us in Matthew 28, it came as a way to encourage us to do what? To fulfill the commission. This world is broken. And I'll tell you, we live around real people in this very community who live without hope. Can you imagine? Live without understanding God's grace for them, his love for them, his power for them in their life, the transforming that he can do from the inside out. They have no idea. And so God sent us here, and he sent us to this community. And you're not going alone. God is there with you, so don't be afraid. But maybe you say, you know what, God? If you've called us to it, then let me do it. It's going to take a bold step of faithfulness. And this is how we do it. You, you commit to it, and the best way is then ask God. You, you have somebody in your life doesn't know. Put their name down. You can write it on your bulletin. Start praying for them. That's the best first step before you share faith. Pray for them that God prepares their heart to receive the gospel, and that God prepares you to share it. Ask God for opportunity, and then ask God for courage and words when that opportunity comes. You will be amazed at how God answers those prayers. But maybe you commit to that to begin to say, I'm going to start sharing the good news that we have in Christ. Or maybe there's a different commitment. You can write that down as your pastor. It's my joy and privilege to be able to support you in those things. I'll be praying for you this week. If there's another prayer request, write that down. And here in a second, we're going to take our offering. And as the offering baskets are passed, I invite you, please take these cards, these connection cards, with your commitments and your prayer requests on them, drop them in the offering basket as it's passed, along with your tithes and your offerings. Before we do that, however, let's pray for these, and then we'll have the worship team uh, come and to, uh, to lead us with a, a few uh, uh, closing worship songs. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. Father, thank you that all these things that we see about you in Scripture are true, that you are El Shaddai, you are, you are Yahweh, that you are Elohim. Father, you are all of these, and yet you are also here with us is amazing. And that you've made a place for us to be with you is mind-blowing to us. Thank you for you. Father, as we keep these commitments today, as we, as we engage with you, I pray that it wouldn't just make us legalistic do-gooders, but God, instead, I pray that we would experience you and we would learn how to love you better, that we would follow Christ more closely and that you would transform us even more from the inside out, that we could radiate your love and mercy and grace in this community. Give us an opportunity, Father, to share that blessing with those that we live around. And Father, we pray that you would also take these tithes and these offerings and that you would bless them and multiply them for the use of building your kingdom for your glory, we pray in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.